Hello there. Welcome to North Wall Connect, a podcast series featuring conversations with amazing artists about their life, work, and current projects. I'm your host, Kim, and today I am excited to welcome Oxford-based illustrator Corky Paul, who will be exhibiting at the North Wall from December 4th until January 23rd. Corky's illustrations bring to life his spontaneity and unaffected manner of drawing. His innovative style shows fledging artists that every smudge, every line can be transformed into something weird and wonderful. The exhibition, Winnie and Wilbur's Magical Moments, will feature a selection of the artist's favorite illustrations exhibited as gicle prints. These are reproductions of the originals in limited editions of 150, signed and numbered by Corky himself. We are so lucky to have Corky here today to talk to us about his influences and works. So thank you, Corky, for joining us. I'm happy here and I'm delighted to, to come and speak to you. Wonderful. I would like to start off by asking, how did you get into illustrating children's books from starting out your education and early career in advertising in Cape Town? That's right. Um, well, at school, I always drew. I was always drawing and uh, my my Joshua books, as they were called, that we did all our work in, was just covered in drawings. And, um, and, and my grandmother was a fantastic artist. She had a, she had a farm up in the Kalahari in South Africa. And she did all these marvelous pen and ink drawings, um, of the farm and of the animals. I mean, there were wild animals on the farm, you know, elephants and giraffes and all this stuff. And she drew the bushmen as well, who were nomadic people who come through the farm. And we had all her drawings in our house. And so I was intrigued by her pen and ink work. And um, and when she got too old to draw, she gave me all her stuff. And she was a great, my great inspiration and great encourager. You know, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I first got published, he said to me, what do you use that stupid nickname for, you know, Corky? Uh, so I said, well, Dad, it's a, it's a memorable name, and, it, you know, it's a great name to work under as a children's book illustrator. He said, you've got a fine Scottish name, uh, Hamish Paul, you know. I said, yeah, I know, Dad, but it makes me sound like, a, like I'm an Edinburgh lawyer. That's what you should have been. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to art school and studied fine arts. That, surprisingly, got me a job in an advertising agency in Cape Town. I was studying in Durban. Uh, and it was fantastic. It was this advertising agency called De Villiers and Schoenfeld. And uh, my boss was an amazing man. Sadly, he died about three weeks ago. I mean, he was in his 80s, but he was incredible. He taught me things like, because I said, I know nothing about typography or design or layout. He said, don't worry. We like your ideas. We like your drawing. We'll teach you. Mm. And, and which they did. So my, my time in advertising was an amazing training ground to think quickly on your feet for ideas and how to quickly sketch them and put them down and taught me things like typography and design and layout and all that, which stood me in good stead to do children's books. I worked there for about four, four or five years. And then I fled South Africa because of the whole apartheid regime and um, toured, bought a camper van and just went to all the art galleries in Europe. Oh, wow. That's what I wanted to do. Just, you know, went to all the art galleries. So then I, I, I washed up in Greece. I landed up in Greece and I ran out of money and I managed to get a job in a Greek advertising agency, which was extraordinary. And then I met a, a, um, a Scotsman who, I was at a, I was at a, it was a, a Thanksgiving party. I'd never been to a Thanksgiving party. I kind of heard about them. 
that Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. And this was a Greek American, and he was my neighbor, and he invited me to his house for this party. And I heard this lovely Scottish accent in the crowd, and I heard him saying, "We look. I'm looking for an illustrator because I've just joined this Greek publishing company. So I wandered over and introduced myself, and uh, and then um, he said, well, bring your portfolio around, and he liked the work I had done. And so he said, well, the thing is, the Greek publisher wants a British illustrator because it's a book um, called uh, Say It in English, and he wants it to have a real British look about it, you know, the architecture and everything like that. He said, have you ever been to Britain? I said, well, I was there for two weeks in the summer. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I could get referees. He said, okay, well, yeah. let's just try it. Let's just see what happens. So we go in for the interview. He looks up work. He says, yeah, yeah, okay, that's that's good. And then as we're leaving, he says, uh, Mr. Paul, your accent, where's that from? <laughs> so James, this lovely Scotsman, he said, oh, Mr. Stathialis, he's from very far south. <laughs> <laughs> and we shot out the door, you know. <laughs> so I did, I did these books, and um, and then I I, um, I came to the UK where I was uh, uh, came to settle in the UK and worked for an advertising agency here in the in London. Um, but I always wanted to do animation, and I got into Cal Arts in California. I went over there to do just a year animation, like a master's, and um, Jules Engel mm. was my tutor. He was this amazing guy who worked a lot on the um, on all the early Disney stuff. But I soon realized that I wasn't a great animator. And I, then I came back to London and carried on working in advertising. And then uh, one of my one of my juniors who was working with me, he came in one day. He always wanted to make pop-up cards mm. and, and brochures and leaflets which were fabulous and we present them to the client and then they say oh that's great and then we present the budget and then they like your eyes would start watering from the prices and then we'd water it down and anyway ray came in one day with a book called the haunted house by jan piankowski uh, and this book is a classic and it revived the whole pop-up industry worldwide it was amazing so, so we looked at this book, and, and, and Ray Marshall is his name. Ray said, this is just amazing. So I said, okay, Ray, why don't we make a dummy, find a story, and, 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 we'll, and, we'll, and we'll take it, we'll present it somehow. And then James Watt, my friend, who was still living in Greece and working for the Greek publisher, he phoned me up to say he's coming to England. Uh, could we meet up? And he's on his way to the Frankfurt Book Fair. And I said, Frankfurt Book Fair, what's that? He said, oh, yeah, it's this great big fair where people buy and sell projects. And you know. I said, really? Okay. Back to Ray. I said, Ray, we've got a deadline, the Frankfurt Book Fair. It's in October. You know, this, we've got something to work towards. And because we worked in advertising, we, could, we knew how to make up dummies and, you know, all that bind and make it look like what we had. No idea of the sort of specifications. <laughs> we just made this big pop-up book. And we went to Frankfurt in his little mini. And we met a lady called Sherry Saffron, who was a packager, and she took it on, and she sold it. The next thing we knew, we're in Colombia learning how to make pop-up books. <laughs> this is bizarre. So this was at and this time your, your second book project. You had done the one in Greece, and then this is the, the second yeah, project. Yeah, say it, say it in English, by Ronald Riddard. And I was now working freelance. Um, 
uh, as an illustrator and, and as a designer. And, you know, I'd go work for my had friends in advertising who I'd come in and, you know, work on a freelance basis. But once we had this book published, it got published by Faber and Faber and worldwide, we got, we got all different um, publications. Then there was a magazine in, um, in London called by Marshall Cavendish, uh, uh, was Storyteller. And it was a magazine with children's stories and a whole eclectic selection, different artists, different types of stories. Yeah. It was the gravy train of London in the 80s for illustrators. Mm. Everybody worked on it. It was fantastic. <laughs> and it was those, um, where you collect them over, over, uh, you take out a subscription and then you collect them over a year and they come out every two weeks. And then you, you get these ring binders. And so you have this whole collection of, of these wonderful stories. And they were amazing. They paid really well. Uh, and I was getting one sort of every, every two, every month. So once a month, I get one of these stories, write a story, do the drawings. And, um, and then my, um, my brother, Donald, my younger brother, he was working for Oxford University Press Africa. And he said to me, yeah, I'll get you an interview with the editor of Oxford University Press Children's Books. I said, well, okay, that'd be great. So anyway, he, he in those days, it was memos. You know, he wrote a memo, internal memo, which was this little letter that was passed around internally. And so he sent this memo to Mr. Heapy, Mr. Ron Heapy. And you can imagine Ron Heapy receiving this memo from some bloke in Africa sales who has a brother that draws. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, AEP employee, I don't know, 6,000 people or something, you know, some incredible things. So anyway, to his credit, he, he saw me. So mm-hmm. I went up to, to, London, to Oxford. I was living in London at the time. Went up to Oxford with my portfolio, mm-hmm. showed him my work, and he said, oh, that's great. Uh, made some photocopies of my work to put in the file. And don't call us. We'll, we'll call we'll you. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. But as I was walking out the door, he said, hang on, have a look at the story. It's about a witch who lives in a black house with a black cat and she's got various problems. Give me three drawings. And, um, but it's, it's a part of a reading program. It's one of 10 in a section. Uh, it's A4, paperback, staple bound, you know, kind of bottom of the market. Okay, that's better than nothing. So I get on the train, I'm reading the story, and I think, my oh, goodness, this is a great little story. It doesn't have to be a little part of a reading program. I'll just do it as a picture book. You know, and the thing is, it's just my training in advertising to, you know, think outside the box, think of other things or doing something. That's how I've been taught. And, you know, I thought, what have I got to lose? So anyway, three weeks later, whatever it was, back up to Oxford with these three big drawings now, and a big paper, and done them 20. I went and looked at OUP's picture books and what their sizes were, 20% bigger. Went with these big drawings, and I walk into Ron's he, he office, and he says, that's not what I asked for. I said, just suspend your judgment. Just have a look at the story. It's a great little story. And be a pity for it to, um, to disappear into a reading program. And, you know, the rest is history. Oh, I, think it's, I, think it's, I think it's AUP's book that's got the most co-editions. It's sold it's millions. That story that they didn't know they wanted, but the story they needed. <laughs> you know? I don't know, I don't know. I'm still amazed. Well, the, the drawings definitely captivated um, adults and children alike. I mean, the world, the amount of times it's been printed um, and the amount of 
things that have happened since then, all the different editions of this book, the languages is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I must, I must tell our listeners because I can see you, the, I think you're in your studio. Is that right? Yes, or part of us? And the, the, the sketches on the walls and the colors and all of the materials. I mean, it just looks like you live and breathe these characters like you just take them from inside your head and you put them on all the walls around you <laughs> and I must I must ask um just where does that where did your artistic inspiration come from the use of color and the the type of personalities that you give to characters like uh, Professor Puffendorf um, right, and Winnie right. the Witch well the thing is um you know picture book texts are very much like like movie scripts because you, you, you know, the, for instance, uh, Valerie Thomas, the author of Winnie the Witch, she wrote, um, Winnie lived in a black house in the forest. That was her description. And so this is where you come in as the illustrator and you then expand upon that or find a way in. And that's the trick is to find a way into the story. So my initial sketches, so I do a lot of rough sketches and think about it. I did a little cottage, you know, which lives in a little cottage and a little Anne Hathaway with thatched roof and Tudor beams and all this nonsense. And then I thought, hang on, now this is a cliche, you know, she's state. What's the opposite of cottage? Stately home. Winnie lives in a stately home. She lives in a great big house. Why not? And, and that opened up the whole book for me because suddenly – uh, you know, when he when he trips over Wilbur, but it doesn't say where he where he, she tripped over him. So now I had all these rooms in the stately home. So she's she's coming down the great big sweeping staircase. She's walking down what we call the the passageway of the ancestors, uh, and you know. So now I had all these rooms to draw things in, and and also I discovered later that Ron had had I think he had two or three other artists have a go at the story, and all their Black houses with black silhouettes. Now, my training as a fine artist was being, if you paint black and you want a cold black, put blue in it. If you want a warm black, put red in it. Don't use black on its own. It's such a strong pigment and can be quite dead. So I started using things like Payne's Grey, Paris Paris Blue, and various other colors mixed in with, with ivory black and other blacks and Indian ink blacks. So I had this kind of palette of blacks. And and then I thought, well, hang on, witches are in black clothes. No, she loves color. She keeps changing Wilbur into all these colors. So I'll make her colorful. That would also mean she could stand out against this black house because the, the story is about the black cat and the black house. It's not about Winnie being black dressed and, you know. Oh, the other thing, and I don't know where it came from, was the stripy socks, Winnie's stripy socks. And, uh, you know, now I see most witches that are being drawn now all got stripy socks. <laughs> they might still be in black, but they all got stripy socks. You know, when you go through the story, you've got to break it down into this, this kind of template of picture books where they have 32 pages. And of those 32 pages, you have 24 for text and illustration. But it's easy to think of 12 double-page spreads. So I go through this manuscript, through what they call this, this story that hasn't yet been published. I go through the manuscript and I do the pagination. I try and break it down. So you look for spread one. That's introduction of the character. Maybe another character appears. So that's a good cue for spread two. 
And then often I go to spread 12, which is the end, and then kind of work backwards. And then, you know, there's no, there's no sort of pattern, but you find a, a rhythm to the story. And so if the cliffhangers, like when you waved your wand and you turn over the page and there's, you know, a polar bear or something. So <laughs> that's the sort of things you've got to you do. The, the hard bit is that initial reading that manuscript and finding your way in and, and what location do you choose? Mm. What clothing do you choose? Because also, Valerie didn't describe what he's clothing at all. Mm. You don't have to. And, and so that's why I, I, I draw the, 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 the comparison between movies and picture books. You know, if you listen to a movie soundtrack with no pictures, it's difficult to follow. Equally, you just watch mm. the pictures without it. And it's the same with a storybook, with a, a good picture book. You know, you read the words and you think, God, that's a lot of substantial text, but the substance you add to it with your with you as an illustrator, you make that contribution to it. It, it brings us in. It also makes us think and feel and uh, understand an actual character. We can visualize it and it feels immersive when you're flipping through the book and not just looking at the words, but all the colors and the environment. Mm, and we can mm, picture mm. this world, which is amazing because it's almost like we get to peek into your head <laughs> and see how <laughs> all your imagination with this was. In 1998, the Oxford Times wrote about your works that in addition to kids, um, adults respond to the gentle satire in which nothing and nobody is sacred. And I love, oh. I, I love that quote that they had. When my children were little, I remember my son, uh, we showed him a picture of a train and it was a steam engine. And he looked at it and he said, that's not a train. What is that? He'd never seen one. But this was a modern book, and he, to him, was Intercity Express. That was a train, you know. And I thought, you know, this kind of illustrators are putting sort of nostalgic drawings of things in there. I thought, I'm going to, when I do Winnie, I'm going to make her modern. So mm -hmm. she has a, she has an, she has an iPad, she has a phone, she has a computer. <laughs> But the, it's, it's not an apple, it's a pumpkin, you see. And, <laughs> and it's, it's just and, so and, clever. <laughs> and, 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 you know, she has, she has operating system 13, because mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, but everything in Winnie's life is 13. I started putting in, you know, she would have a washing machine and there would be this amazing washing machine or food mixers. And so she had all this stuff in her house, you know. Somebody said to me, I think it was a, and a publisher said, why, why is she in another kitchen? It's not the same as a kitchen you do in another book. I said, well, it's a magical house, you know, and it's, it's huge. <laughs> She's got this, all these rooms. And it just, and that's what's kept it alive because there's this look of the house, but then I, I can draw her in different rooms. So her bedroom is always different. And it's, I never tire of it. I'm always, always making me think of a different angle or a different composition. Or look, you know, so mm. you don't get repetitive and start drawing the same kitchen, the same bedroom and stuff. In Winnie's happy birthday, I had to draw a, an aerial view of Winnie's house. And the, she was having a garden party. And I started drawing this aerial view of her house. And then it, and then I finally thought, hang on. And there's a whole sort of space which I didn't know what to put in there. I thought, can I put more trees or more plowed fields or something? I thought, no. I'll just draw Winnie's house. So Winnie's house sprawls right across <laughs> the left-hand page, across the spine, and right up into the right-hand page. This huge rambling place, you know. So it's a, it's a massive house. It's a magical mm. house. And somebody said, oh, Winnie's looking a little bit plump. 
I said, yeah, well, maybe she put a little bit of weight, you know. And then, <laughs> yeah, the characters too, are you know? alive yeah. for you, which I love, because yeah. if they're alive to you, then they're alive to us. Yeah. They change, yeah. they live, they age. Yeah. It's just yeah. very yeah. Um, believable, honestly. It creates a believable world, um, even the, in the, the, the rules of magic that you create, <laughs> where the house keeps changing. Yeah, and the, and the, 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 the point of the hat, Winnie's hat is bent at the top. And if you notice, it's, you know, she's got a pointy witch's hat, and then it's got that bend at the top. And a lot of when I was drawing my first hat, uh, I didn't bother about a brim because I thought the brim's kind of a fiddly thing to draw in there. I'll just I'll leave the brim out. I'll just make it a hat. But I got to the edge of this. I was doing my rough drawing. I got to the edge of the page, and I couldn't draw the point of the hat because there was no space. So I thought I'll just bend the hat over, and then I'll come back and straighten it. But then I looked at another. Hang on, that's what is the quirkiness, you know, yeah. that makes the hat a little bit different. So that's, you know, ideas are often happy accidents. How are those ideas going to translate into the upcoming book collaboration you have that is more targeted to adults, the Oxford Z to A, A Thousand Years of History in 26 Letters with Richard O. Smith? Yeah, no, that was a that's such a terrific uh, project to do. Um, Richard I, I've known for a while and I've done odd book covers for him. And um, then he introduced me to James Ferguson, who owns Signal Books, who are the publishers. He was a delightful guy. And, and Richard said he had this idea of, of, uh, of doing this book, of uh, the A to Z of Oxford, I think he called it. Mm. And I said, well, you know, Richard, my generation A to Z is a map. We all had the A to Z maps in our bags before Google Maps, you know. This, because we, it's a kind of quirky thing, why don't we call it the Z to A of Oxford? So that's where it started off with the zoo in Killington, which is uh, which was interesting. And it took a it took a while because I was really busy at the time. And then, then last year I could actually sit down and and do it. It was a huge project. And um, every time we I was sort of planning it out. I think it started off as forty eight pages, and then we asked Mr. Ferguson if we could go to fifty six, and I think it ended up being a ninety six page book. <laughs> It was originally paperback. It's now hardback. It's a fabulous book. And what was so nice was um, reading these quirky stories about Oxford, and then uh, and then fitting them all in. I, mean, you, I couldn't illustrate everything, so I just I just said to to Richard, look, ones that capture my fancy or ones that come to mind quickly, I'll do. Because uh, I wasn't going to rough out the whole book. I just was, mm. it was too difficult to do that. As I said, as I go through it, I'll do them. And my favorite story is, is um, Parsons Pleasure, which is where they, the Dons used to go for skinny dipping, <laughs> uh, which is on the Charwell River down um, by um, Magdalen College there. And they were skinny, there were some Dons skinny dipping there. And uh, this is, in, I think was, this was in the 19th century or something. And a punt came by with ladies on board who were waving themselves because they'd seen these naked men and they'd be flattered and stuff. And so all the dons quickly wrapped towels around their waist, except one don. He threw the towel over his head. And they all shouted, what the hell are you doing? He said, well, no, everybody knows me in, in Oxford by my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> So I've, I've, done, I've, done, I've done a drawing of the dot with the mm. towel on the face, the mm. dot with the figure. But there's a, there's a, 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 a branch with a leaf on it. 
uh, you know, mm. covering him up. Mm. But it was, it was, and it was great fun to do. It was challenging actually, um, because I had to fit in quite a lot of detail into really like, quite small little drawings. And I remember James Ferguson, the, the, the head of Signal Books, asked me to to fit in a whole lot of other stuff. I said, James, this drawing is, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. five centimeters by six centimeters. I can't fit in the, the, the Oxford skyline as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely hearing you talk about the specific drawings that you've done, especially those that stuck out to you or those that interested you greatly. Um, because I, I was wondering, how did you choose the illustrations for the exhibition at the North Wall? Right. Well, uh, it was a it was a difficult one. Um, and I think is I don't sell my original drawings. I haven't sold them. They're all carefully archived in portfolio bags. I've got a whole room which is just them all archived. I can't part with them. <laughs> so I'd heard about these GK prints, um, which are extraordinary. They uh, they uh, they look like the original, and I print them exactly the same size as the original, so I don't doctor them or anything. And the ones I chose were, I think, the ones that were the most difficult to do. And that turned out better than I expected. Because often you, you do a drawing and you think, God, you know, what am I doing here? This is huge bits of perspective and I've got to sort this out and it's just not quite working. And then it, it worked. So I think that's ones that just appeals to me, ones that I really struggled with, I think, and that turned out, turned out really well. Those are the ones that appeal to me. Yeah. So what it's also is to show the sort of flavor of Winnie, how she's evolved, mm. because she has, you know, as my drawing skills have developed and, and you start getting into this character and you, you start finding out things about her and you start making up things. In all these amazing projects you've done and obviously in, in very different forms for adults, for kids, in magazines, mm. do you have another dream project, something that you're itching to get your hands on in the future? Every project is a dream project. You don't know where things are going to appear. Uh, and, and I might be doing a, a project on a word machine that spills out phonics, teaching kids phonics. Oh, that's really fascinating. Ooh, so that's mm. a huge project. So that I'm just kind of getting ready to do. But yeah, every project's a dream project. You know, you never know what's going to turn up on your door. So. It's so nice to get insight and just to hear you talk about your own work and hearing talk about your life experiences. I think it will really enrich the visit to all of these works that will be up at the North Wall and being able to see Winnie, being able to see the influence of developing these projects and just enjoying it, just getting into that world and getting into a space filled with uh, beautiful drawings of something outside of the ordinary, outside of our own lives. I, I would just also like to add that, you know, um, I had a wonderful editor called uh, Helen Mortimer, and she worked with, with me on Winnie for about 14 years with Valerie. And it was an, an amazing team. Sadly, she's now left. But, um, you know, I have a lot to um, thank Helen for. The art director, Kate Adams, she put together the whole rebranding. She redesigned, she designed the logos and the fonts and the typefaces and everything. So, and she, you know, she put the Winnie books together. I'd done all the drawings and then she'd get them ready to be printed. And all the paraphernalia, you know, that goes with it is uh, wonderful art director, Kate Adams. As we know, your work is deeply collaborative and we know that uh, without all the parts coming together, it, it wouldn't be the same Winnie as we know it. And on behalf of the North Wall, we want to thank you and we want to thank all the collaborators for all the tremendous work that you do. And we're very excited to have you come to the North Wall. So thank you so much for featuring on our podcast for this episode. It was a pleasure. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Northwall Connect. We really enjoyed talking to Corky Paul about what it takes to be a children's illustrator. Check out our website for more digital content and information about upcoming events at www.thenorthwall.com. Until next time, bye!